Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Our, our passage is found in verse 6 this morning, but let's read verses 1 through 6. This, of course, is the famous Sermon on the Mount, and the first 12 verses deal with the introductory uh, statements from the Lord Jesus Christ, which are fondly uh, named the Beatitudes. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let's continue on through verse 12. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people shall insult you and persecute you and falsely and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We have dealt with uh, verses 1 through 5. We've dealt with, of course, um, uh, the, the first uh, three uh, Beatitudes, and today we'll be dealing with the fourth Beatitude. The Beatitudes are a, are a precise picture of the nature and character of, the, of, the, of Jesus Christ. That's what we always want to understand when we're reading the Beatitudes. They, they form a, a beautiful portrait, if you will, of the nature and character of the Son of God. And therefore, it is very important that each and every one of us uh, in our everyday lives uh, do our best to emulate what we find in the Beatitudes because our lives must be bound up in the Beatitudes because they are a picture of the nature and character of our Savior, and it is our job, it is our life, it is our responsibility and our joy to be like him. That's why we are called Christians. We are to be like our master. So it is an exposition, of what you, if you will, that the Beatitudes are an exposition of the, of the character and the blessedness of being a member of the kingdom of God, of being citizens of that kingdom. Uh, being uh, being a, a member of the kingdom of God is not just something that we are. It is something much deeper than that. We, we know we are the members of the kingdom because we are able to conform to these most sacred uh, characteristics of God himself. We will find in this sermon that it is the standard for true happiness. There is no happiness apart from conformity to God's word, God's will. In it, Jesus, in this whole sermon, actually, not just the Beatitudes, but Jesus uh, revealed the great mystery of salvation in this, in this short sermon. I think it's no longer than 750 words, and it's probably the most important sermon that was ever preached. He reveals in this sermon that salvation is by, by grace alone. There is 
There is no part, there is, there is, there is, no, uh, there is nothing in, the, in, in salvation that requires the works of any man. It is all by grace from beginning to end. He, he, he reveals that who, those who are saved uh, walk by faith. And they are truly blessed people. They are happy people because they walk in, in faith. They are, they are the only ones that are truly happy and blessed who walk on this earth today. The reason for our happiness, the reason for our, for our blessed state is stated at the end of each of the, of the Beatitudes. Because there's a three parts to the Beatitudes. The first is, is a, 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 a declaration of the man himself. He is blessed. And who is blessed? Well, in our verse, it tells us. Um, the, the blessed one is the one who is, uh, who is hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And that's the, that's the, uh, that's the uh, illustration of who the man is. And then the blessed state is found at the end of the verse. For they shall be satisfied or they shall be filled in some of your, in some of your uh, translations. So the blessed state of each uh, individual who is truly saved is, is stated at the end of each beatitude. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They shall be comforted and they shall see God. And so he starts out each beatitude with this thunderous word that comes out of the, the eternal son of God. He said, oh, the blessedness of the man. Oh, the happiness of that man who is doing these things. And the result will be this. That's how he begins this most wonderful sermon. It is the first words that thunder out of the mouth of the eternal Son of God as he preaches to this mixed multitude of disciples and lost souls on the Sea of Galilee or on the, on the hills above the Sea of Galilee. Now this sermon also distinguishes the great chasm be between Christians and non-Christians, between believers and unbelievers. Jesus revealed that the only way a man can, 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 can possess these Christian virtues or these Christian traits or these Christian graces, if you would like to call them that, that's fine, is through the regenerating grace of God. There is no other person on the planet that can acquire these, these traits apart from God doing a sovereign work of salvation in his heart. And therefore, everything that Jesus stresses in the sermon, especially in the Beatitudes which we are dealing with now, uh, is impossible to achieve apart from saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's impossible to achieve these things if you are a man that lives in his natural state, his fallen state, his sinful state. And yet, the sad irony of all of this is, is the average person on the street will tell you that they believe that they are right before God because of the Beatitudes, because of the Sermon on the Mount. They don't believe that the Sermon on the Mount is talking to Christians and telling them how to behave and telling them who they are. Uh, they believe that it is a, a blueprint for, for finding favor before God, a blueprint to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So many people, if you ask them, are you a Christian? 
do you believe you're going to heaven? They will say, I believe that I'm going to heaven because I follow the golden rule, or I do my best to follow the Beatitudes, or I go to church occasionally. Um, but they, you will not find these virtues in their lives. These distinguish Christians from non-Christians, believers from believers. So men routinely do this, and this is the sad state. And they look at Christians, and they don't see the difference between themselves and us. If you know somebody close to you that you know that is a traditional Christian, uh, has no saving faith, does not know God personally, and yet insist that they are going to heaven. It's so frustrating and so agonizing to watch them go through their lives without true saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no real personal knowledge or relationship to God through the blood work of Christ. And uh, they, they, are, they, are, they seem to be so stubbornly uh, stuck on the fact that they do these things, and yet evidence shows that they do not. That is so common in, in traditional religion across our country and across other countries, of course. And so we have to be very careful. We have to analyze ourselves when we go through these Beatitudes because they reveal really who we are. So let's look at verse 6 this morning. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Jesus used the word hunger and thirst because they, are, they articulate strong spiritual desires. And again, uh, a professing Christian, a person that goes to a traditional church, a person that does not read their Bible, for example, or maybe a verse a day or something like that, or goes to Mass quite a bit. We are talking about the fact that these people do not hunger and thirst after righteousness. It is not a strong spiritual desire. And so we should look at these passages and ask ourselves who we are. Christians, true Christians, true believers, tr uh, people that have been given a new heart by God uh, are, are different than everybody else in this world. Christians hunger and thirst after righteousness because it is a righteousness that does not uh, derive from themselves. It is a righteousness that derives from heaven itself. It's, it is the righteousness that has been imputed to the Christian by God himself. And so the, the Greek text explains to us that this type of hungering, this, this type of thirsting that Jesus uses uh, for, for a good reason is a continual hungering. It's a continual thirsting after righteousness. It's not a one-time thing. It's a lifestyle of continuing to hunger and thirst after righteousness. It, it's, it's, the, it's the natural state of you and of me as Christians. No matter how poorly you may be as a Christian or how, how uh, excellent you are as a Christian, we all have one thing in common. We are hungering and we are thirsting after righteousness. It is, again, our natural state if you are a believer. If you are an unbeliever, this is not part of your makeup in any way. A Christian finds no joy. A Christian finds no fulfillment or satisfaction in pursuing sin. When we sin, it immediately turns to guilt and sorrow and pain because we know that we have sinned. 
And that's the difference between a, 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 a professing Christian and a true Christian. The true believer is hungering and thirsting as a daily lifestyle. It is what his goals are when he wakes up in the morning. You may fail. But you can go to God and ask for forgiveness, and he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And he will not only forgive you of your sin, if you do it in true repentance, he will, he will forget your sins. And so only this type of man, only this Christian man, is truly happy in the world. There is no happiness apart from this passage of Scripture. There is no blessed man apart from a man who is not pursuing righteousness in hunger and thirst it's an amazing thing okay so what's the what's the end result of a man that is blessed a man that is hungering and thirsting after righteousness well the end result is found in the very near future it's not somewhere out there but it's almost immediate when a man and a woman christian is is, is hungering and thirsting after righteousness and doing the will of God according to his word, it tells us, for they shall be filled. Not, not next week or next month or in eternity, but now. There is a complete satisfaction in doing the will of God. When you have a clear conscience before God as a Christian, you could put your head down on your pillow that night, that's being filled. That is a satisfaction that only comes from doing the will of God according to this passage of Scripture. Happy are those who are constantly hungering and thirsting after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. They shall be filled up. They shall be contented, you could say, in their lives. It is a, it is a clear conscience before God is a good way to look at this. Okay. I want to... If you could turn to Psalm uh, 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 63, it's a really good illustration, I think, of, of, of David, who was a, an Old Testament believer, a Christian, and he was constantly hungering and thirsting after righteousness. While he was hiding away from his enemies in the Judean wilderness, he penned this, this most uh, profound prayer. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's in great alignment to this proverb or this, uh, this beatitude. So let's read the first eight verses of Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8. O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed, and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. He is in great distress during this prayer. And we see this man panting after God, thirsting after God, hungering after a right relationship 
with God, and he had it, and he was satisfied, he was filled, even when there were so many enemies around him, so many arrows pointed at him. So let's ask ourselves a question then. What causes a man to hunger and thirst after righteousness? How does it happen? Uh, that's something we should, we should think about and talk about for a few minutes, I think. We know, and we should know anyway, that the law is good, the law is wise, because it sets God's will before our eyes, as the hymn writer said. And so what the law does is condemns us. It condemns all men as sinners. It's, it levels the playing field between black and white, rich or poor, sick and well, it doesn't matter. All men are sinners. And therefore, no man is righteous. And no man desires to become righteous if he is a lost sinner. No man can claim for himself that he is a righteous man. Uh, no man can cleanse himself from unrighteousness. No man can decree or declare righteousness on his own terms. And any man that denies this fact is under a false security. He's under a false religion. He's, he's, he's lying to himself as he sits in a church that constantly tells him that he is okay with God and he is going to heaven because he was baptized or as a baby or because he goes to church every, every Sunday. Uh, these are damnable uh, things. Uh, these churches are very, very dangerous because they damn men's souls. And the people that go to these churches are complicit in this. You could blame the Catholic Church, for example, for the lies and the heresies they put upon their, their people. But these people that go to these churches, and I was a member of a Catholic Church for many, many years, uh, I was complicit. I wanted to believe that. I wanted to believe that I could go uh, to, to the priest on a Saturday afternoon and confess my sins to a mere mortal and that God would cleanse me of my sins. I wanted to believe that. So uh, this, these, these religions are, 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 are of the devil because they are contrary to the gospel themselves. And so any man that believes he is a righteous man because he follows the golden rule or tries to follow the Beatitudes or the whole Sermon on the Mount is lying to himself. Salvation from unrighteousness must be from God. It has to be a work from God, of God and from God and no one else. When God saves a man, he does a very thorough job. He starts from the inside and works outside. He, he cleanses your heart. In fact, he takes your heart of stone out of your body and gives you a heart of flesh. He enables you to think God's thoughts after him. He enables you to pant after righteousness. He enables you to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Uh, it's an amazing thing when you look at true salvation and how the world cannot see what it is. And yet we are here even today to declare the true gospel of salvation from the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, this has all been accomplished by one man, the man Christ Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man, the only begotten Son of God. 
He purchased for us what we could not purchase for ourselves. He did for us what you and I could not do for ourselves, and that is offer ourselves as a sacrifice for sin, at presenting ourselves before the Father and saying, I am righteous, accept me, I have done my works, I have, I have done my sacrifices, and you must accept me. God says, no, all of your works are as filthy rags. He has not accepted any man in his works because we are all lawbreakers. We are all condemned even because of the fall itself. But Jesus Christ came to do for us what we could not do. He came to purchase salvation on our behalves. He came as our substitute. Probably the most important one word in all of the uh, English language concerning the gospel itself is substitution. Jesus Christ became our substitute by doing for us, like I've already said, what we cannot do for ourselves. You must see Jesus Christ hanging on the cross at Calvary. When you see that, you must see substitution. He came to pay the debt that was due for our sins. He paid the debt on our behalf. That is the beauty of the Savior, that he came of his own will and came to die by a broken body and shed blood. The, the famous verse that I love to quote out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The Father made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That's just, uh, that's the, uh, the profound beauty of the love of God, that he took his only begotten son who dwelt with him in eternity, took him and sent him into creation himself, became a man for you and I. He lived under the law. He kept the law perfectly. He was in all points tempted as like you and I in sin and yet never sinned because he could not. He's the impeccable son of God. And so when God sent him to the cross, he went willingly as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb to the slaughter. And when we see him hanging on the cross, what are we seeing? We're seeing the perfect sacrifice for sin. And that's what we have to understand when we, when we, when we, when we talk about salvation from sin and what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you and me. Because when he did that, he imputed my sins to himself. He became sin for me. And God punished him unto death for that, an eternal death. And not only did he punish me, punish him on behalf of me, and then he imputed his righteousness to me. That's where my righteousness comes from. That's where your righteousness comes from. It's an imputed righteousness from God alone. God has taken away our sins. He's placed them on the lamb that was slain, and he's taken them away. I love uh, Leviticus chapter 16. It's, a, it's an illustration of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And very quickly, two goats are brought before the high priest. One is a sacrifice for sin, and one is a scapegoat. They cut the, 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 the throat of the, of the sacrifice for sin, and they sprinkle it on the altar, and, 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 the, and the sins of the people are forgiven. The, the next goat is taken away 
It's a scapegoat. It lives. And a man, a qualified man, takes him out into the wilderness where he is taken out of the camp. Sin has been taken away. And that is a picture of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Uh, Study Leviticus chapter 16. It is so very important for us to see this wonderful, vivid picture of what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. Uh, The term righteousness, uh, dikaiosunes, is a very, very important word in the Gospels. It's a a forensic term, a legal term. God legally declared us righteous when he gave us the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, 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 It's an imputed righteousness from God to you and me. There is nothing that you and I did to, to earn this righteousness in, in any way. And the man that has been imputed the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ is the man that will be hungering and thirsting continually after righteousness because that is the now, now the people that we are. He is a man who has been pronounced righteous by God himself. And that is why we hunger and thirst on a daily basis. Only God can do that. Only only God can pronounce you to be righteous. And that's only, again, possible by the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the reconciliation of Jesus Christ. He reconciled you and me to the Father by his sacrifice at Calvary. So we can find no spiritual blessings there is no blessedness. There is no, no happiness apart from imputed righteousness. That's the beauty of these, of these beatitudes. It's explaining to us uh, the, the, the deep theology, really, and yet so easily understood if we would just open its pages to see that Jesus Christ purchased our salvation through his blood, his shedding of his blood. I'm going to read a, for a few verses here. I'll just, I'll, 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 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. This, this blood bought righteousness for us is so important because it's his blood-bought righteousness. It's not my blood-bought righteousness. It's the Lord Jesus Christ's blood-bought righteousness. And because of that, that, that high cost, that high price, that we cannot uh, uh, quantify, how do you put a value on the shed blood of the Son of God? But by doing that, he has made us new creatures in Christ himself. We are not what we used to be. We are not unbelievers anymore. We are now found as the precious sons of God himself, ourselves. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Not only that, we are to become, and we are, to what extent for you and for me and maybe uh, somebody else over here, the, 
These things take time to develop in our personalities, no doubt about that. But these are the things we should be working on all the time because we have become the image bearers of God. That's what the Beatitudes are. They're telling us this man is blessed, this man is blessed, this man is blessed, this man is blessed, and we are, we are seeing the nature and character of God illustrated in all of these Beatitudes, and they are to be incorporated into our personalities. Colossians chapter 3, the latter half of verse 9 and, 10, and, and, and verse 10, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. He's completely recreated us. It's an amazing thing. The question is, do we even know it? Do we work on these things? Can we see the change in what we are today from what we were 10 years ago or five years ago or last year or even yesterday? Did we wake up hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Peter tells us famously that we have become partakers of the divine nature. So a Christian is a man who strongly desires on a daily basis for spiritual deliverance from sin. You could, you could say that that we are, we are hungering and thirsting after salvation. You say, well, wait a minute, you're already, I'm already saved. Yes, that's true. Once saved, always saved. But this is the proof in the pudding. Are you hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Are you truly a child of God? Then this is the lifestyle. It's not, it's, it's not a life of hypocrisy, of living in the shadows of sin and enjoying it. No, it's... It's, it's hungering and thirsting after righteousness, and when we do sin, our whole, our, whole, our whole world crumbles, and we beg God to forgive us of our sins. So the man who is hungering and thirsting after righteousness shall be filled. It's passive in the Greek. It's future, and it's passive. That satisfaction is a, a gift from God himself. He gives us this fulfillment, this, this, fill, this, 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 this satisfaction in other words, being filled or, or being satisfied is the end result of our hungering and thirsting after righteousness. This is, this is, this is the beauty of it. This is, this is, this is what we get for, for, for living and panting after God's grace. Heinrich Meyer, who's a great uh, commentator of uh, two centuries ago is now, in the 1800s, said, he said, that uh, hungering and thirsting after righteousness and those who shall be filled, and he was specifically talking about those shall be filled. He said, he said that it is, um, I've, lost, I've lost where he wrote that. Where did he write that? I'll find it in a second. There it is. He said, is the grand object of Christ. That is wonderful because you see the beauty and the person and, 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 and the uh, how personal salvation is. The grand object of Christ is that we might be satisfied because of all these things, all of his grace making us blessed and us hungering and thirsting after righteousness is the grand object of Christ. So we have been bought with a high price, the precious blood of our Redeemer. We have been adopted as sons by the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we have confidence that we are the sons of God. Why? 
because the Beatitudes are being revealed through us as we live our lives on a daily basis. Are you adopted? Have you been adopted into the family of God? Have you been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ? Has the atonement done a great work in you? Are you reconciled to the Father through the Son? Then we will see evidences of this in our lives in the Beatitudes. Humility. Really, it all comes down to humility, I think. You can pretty much take any of the, of the commands of the gospel and you can find a man that is humble. Christianity will develop you into a very <laughs> humble person, a loving person, a kind person, a person that doesn't think much of himself and is more than willing to, uh, to admit that there is nothing good in you at all. And all we have is by the grace of God. Humility is the, is the key word of a true Christian, I think. It's the daily walk of hungering and thirsting after righteousness. That takes humility, a true humility, not a fake humility. There is no such thing as a prideful Christian. The two don't go together. You're either a prideful man or you're a humble man. And they both reveal what type of a man you are. Daily, the Christian walks, asking God to forgive him of his sins. And daily, God satisfies us. He, he fills us, makes us full with his acceptance and love in Jesus Christ. That is the beauty of the grace of God in, in the Beatitudes themselves. Yes, we know our unworthiness. And the more we know God, and the more we, we desire to be holy and righteous before him, the more we are going to realize how unworthy and unholy that we are. And that's the beauty of, of Christianity. The more you know, the less you know. The more holy you are, the less holy you are. Because your knowledge is growing about the, the, uh, the magnitude of the righteousness of God himself. And we only can rest in him and rest in him alone. It's complete satisfaction. That's what we are striving for, a complete, satisfied life, full life, filled life in the presence of God with a clear conscience because we are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Okay, an observation then. The primary goal of every person on the planet, doesn't matter who you are, is the pursuit of happiness and the, and the pursuit of a fulfilled life. And that's, and that's uh, something that everybody can relate to. Jesus revealed that those who are truly happy, those who are filled, those who are satisfied, same, same definition, are only those who are, 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 are thirst, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. There's no other way to be filled. There's no other way to be satisfied in this life. And the problem is, the sad reality is, that the world refuses to believe this. The world will not even consider that you can find happiness in living for God himself. Lost men, that is unbelievers, spend their entire lives hungering and thirsting after, after the desire to be satisfied, after the desire to be filled, after the desire to find a way to have a complete life. And the only way the world can do that is to find pleasures in sin. 
And if any of us have lived very long, and if you are a converted person, that means that before that you lived in sin. And if you're not a Christian, then you are living in sin right now. The only pursuits you have to find satisfaction is the pursuit of sin. So I will tell you what you already know. There is no true happiness. There's no true satisfaction. There's no true fulfillment in this life outside of Jesus Christ in the pursuit of sin. We have all tried it because we are all born sinners. And sin is death. Sin is not happiness. You can find happiness and joy uh, in, in sin. There is no doubt about that. That's why people do it. Drug addicts will always tell you, 99% of, of chronic drug addicts will tell you that they are drug addicts because uh, their, their father beat them or their mother ran off with somebody and, and they got all these problems in their lives and they, you just don't understand them. There's always going to be one honest drug addict in the crowd. You say, why do you, why do you shoot heroin? He'll say, because I like it. That's the, that's the answer. People love sin. And uh, we can all be honest about that. Uh, the pursuit of pleasure through sin is how the world revolves, but not for Christians. Not for Christians. There is no true happiness in sin. There is no true fulfillment in sin. And there is no uh, joy in the pursuit of sin. The, the, this is the, 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 the foremost message of the Bible, really, from from Genesis to Revelation, true happiness, true joy, true satisfaction is only found through the righteousness that is found through the blood work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that many people have, have looked everywhere to find this fulfillment in life. And where do you look? Well, wherever you look, it doesn't matter because you're going to come up empty. Amazingly, the sins that people pursue in our generation right now are not new. There are only a few sins that you can pursue in this world. They've never really changed. Money, greed, uh, lust, uh, sex, uh, uh, power. Um, the list is very small. They come in different shapes and sizes, different categories, but the list of things that you will do in order to make sure that you damn your soul is the same list that people used 500 years ago and 5,000 years ago. It just might be a little bit more sophisticated now. I don't know. So why do we do this? Well, it all comes down to one word, unbelief. Unbelief is the great sin of all mankind. Adam and Eve fell. Why did they fall? Because they disbelieved God's command. They refused to believe. They, they, they said, I'm not going to any longer believe that, if, that, 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 that God is, 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 is telling me the truth. God is lying. Do not eat of that fruit. And they did it. Why? Unbelief. This is the grand sin of, of all men. Unbelief. If you seek happiness outside of marriage, outside of, of anything that's decent, you will not find happiness. You will not, you might seek happiness. You might seek satisfaction. And you might find some for a season, but in the end, it brings nothing but death.
consider these things. Consider the fact, if you've lived this, in this earth for, for, for any amount of years, maybe you're 30 years old, maybe you're 40 years old, maybe you have done everything you can to find satisfaction in this world, and you have come up empty. There is no satisfaction in all the things that you have pursued. The, li the ruined lives, the destroyed lives, the destroyed marriages, the destroyed families, the destroyed children, friendships, loss of jobs. That's what sin brings. It does not bring anything but, but horror, really. Sin brings you to one place. Uh, salvation brings you to a place of a blessed state. But sin brings you to despair and misery. That's the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. You cannot find happiness apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, you are seeking satisfaction. In fact, you're desperate for it. You're desperate to, to be filled up. And yet, no matter how, try, how hard you try to fill your soul with the joys of this world, it's an empty cistern. It's a, it's, it's a well that doesn't end and it never gets filled up. And the satisfaction always evades you. True blessedness, true happiness, true satisfaction is only found in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the reconciliatory work of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is In him is found full forgiveness of sin. In him is found reconciliation to the Father. And in him is found true happiness, true blessedness, true satisfaction. May all of this world uh, understand and admit that sin is death and Christ is life. All right. Our Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for this first service. We pray that you would bless us in the coming service. And we pray, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us as we open up your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.